Welcome back to Silky Science. I'm Aaron Sigerman, and I'm sitting right next to the Silky Tuba himself, Eric Hart. How you doing, everyone? Hey. Um, people have been loving the show, and uh, we are uh, we had a little off week. Uh, we were trying not to have an off week, but we had one uh, week off. It's our fault. It's our fault. Uh, you know, the one thing, obviously, we do here is uh, run a supplement company, uh, along with doing all this content for you guys. And we got a little too into the supplement company stuff and not enough into the actual silky science. But we're making up for it this week, and we're going to talk about the supplement business as a business. Which is kind of how we missed last week, so it's a perfect topic. Yeah, it kind of fits. It's a good segue. Um, so the business of supplements is something that a lot of people always have questions about. It's um, certainly become a very competitive industry because a lot of people are interested and think that uh, that it's an easy thing to do. And we're here to tell you that it's not easy at all, and we're going to go through quite a few um things that have to do with actual business of supplements and uh, probably answer some of your questions, maybe that you didn't even know you had about the actual business of supplements and what it takes to make money in the supplement world, in the space, right? Yeah, because I think, you know, so many people have probably seen the success stories, just like any other business, right? But they don't see the failures. Um, You know, like when I worked at BSN, I think, you know, that was kind of the beginning of the arms race, people trying to sell because they saw how much two guys who owned a supplement store made selling a business and then you know it's a low barrier entry into our category and it just people are like oh i can make a lot of money in that space but i think very few people actually do it successfully right you know maybe they make a little money for a while but you know it's 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 a tough business it is a tough business it's a very competitive business it's a very right now it's a a jam-packed space and there's a lot of people that are smart too that that don't do well in supplements that think it's going to be easy and i think a lot of that is due to some of the success stories in our business that people have seen that are highly visible. And uh, I know with me and PJ with Blackstone, I know it did uh, probably quite a few people a disservice by thinking that it was just two stupid guys started this company and they make all this money and there's, you know, anybody could do it because these idiots can do it. You know? Yeah, I, I think, you know, without any being disrespectful to you guys, I mean, because you guys took a risk, right? You gambled and sure. it paid off and you put in a lot of hard work, but... Um, yeah, I think a lot of people see that big. Oh, anybody can do this, but it takes it'll take a lot of guts to do it, though. Yes, it does. And and these days, it is uh, competitive enough that you really have to have all of the basically all the cylinders firing um, because you mentioned before that it is a lower barrier to entry, which is actually something that um, most of the owners or people in our industry now that are in the uh, you know legit kind of companies will all tell you that they wish that it wasn't because you have all these little manufacturers out there who are willing to make 288 of this or that. Oh, we, we've had manufacturers tell us, oh, if you have an order for a store, we'll make it in that size. Right. It's like, right. okay, don't want to do business with you. No, and it's just, here's the interesting thing is then there's something, as we know, we went to the class, CGMP, there's, uh, there's certain things that need to be done in the manufacturing level that just can't be done at 288 because when they make a, a blend of 288 they need to do all the same cleaning and go through all the same processes that you would do if you do 5,000 yeah because that's thinking like um, people hear MOQs minimum order quantities yeah if you have a blender that's a you know one ton blender 2,000 pounds so take a pre-work on it makes you know they weigh a pound you got to make 2,000 units for that to be efficient yeah to Aaron's point it's just you know it's the same if you make one unit or 2,000 units. It's right. still the same process. And they have to, I mean, the, the, there's cross contamination uh, problems. They have to clean the entire line. I mean, there's a whole, uh, a whole series, a cascade of things that happens when you switch from one product to another. 
So, I mean, it's not something where it's like, oh, uh, we'll just clean out this blender and we're going to throw in a whole bunch of new stuff and mix it on up. There's like a process and it's not quick. And so when you switch from one thing to another um, from a new product, it's you can't have the contaminants left even in like, what is it, micro, you know, what is it, uh, one millionth of a... Oh, you're talking about yeah, like nanoparticles. Yeah, nanoparticles of so you can't you can't have that cross contamination uh, to be GMP compliant. Well, yeah, and that's would be a concern too. I mean, you know, sometimes people gravitate to buying smaller brands like these bathtub brands because of maybe edgy ingredients. But the one thing you got to wonder is the testing, the testing of raw materials for heavy metals, um, contaminants like molds and E. coli and things like that, and then just cross contamination with other ingredients because. They're making small runs. They're probably not doing all that kind of stuff, right? Which is a whole cost thing, which we get into today in this episode. But yeah, it's just uh, it's prohibitive on a lot of levels. Yeah, because like so for you, um, I have a so we, I know a legitimate manufacturer who uh, will do smaller runs, but it actually becomes cost preventative because he still has to spread the all of the testing and all of the cleaning up over those whatever two hundred eighty eight units. So instead of a pre workout that costs nine dollars, the pre workout costs seventeen dollars. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he'll make them for you, but you're going to be paying the same cost because he's not going to lose money on it just so he can make a smaller run. And the the issue for us though, as a you know legitimate supplement brand and a lot of these other guys out there that are they're doing things the right way people that aren't doing things are wrong like see i don't give a shit what the people do i, I like i let them do whatever but unfortunately it's not, it's not like that because what they do affects us and our livelihood and and the reputation of not just supplement you know not just our brand but supplements in general so yeah. the whole sports supplement industry is affected so like for i'll give you a great example because i get asked all the time sarms right yeah um, I don't have any problem with SARMs. I've taken SARMs before. You know, at Blackstone, we sold SARMs before. I have no problem with SARMs. But on the flip side of that, SARMs, I, I have a real problem with now because it has gotten negative attention from the government and uh, the FDA and I think eventually the DEA. And um, by having that in dietary supplements, it paints a very negative light on our industry as a whole that we're selling drugs and pretending they're dietary supplements. Yeah, because that's what the general public sees and thinks. That's and- scary. Yeah, because you could run a completely legitimate company, take every steps. I mean, you know, like we we have all of our SOPs for the FDA on re- a return. If someone doesn't like the flavor, you name it. But you know, so we do everything by the letter of the law. And because again, you have these small players that are just like, hey, it's a cash grab. I'm like you, take whatever you want. I really don't care. It doesn't affect me personally. I don't, you know, I don't judge anyone on what they do. We'll do what you want to do. But from a business side, yeah, it's it keeps the industry the wild west still yeah. and you know and you see that's there's a lot of people on the outside that have that view of this industry because it comes from bodybuilding because it you know it comes from a very niche place that it, you know it won't get its legitimacy you know that's just their opinion of it that you know everything about it is bad right and so the the risk is that uh, we run the risk if there's enough negative attention that they you know we, we've heard about repealing uh Daska and you know and changing basically making the FDA run the supplement business so it's FDA approved because obviously right now the you always see not evaluated by the FDA so imagine they come in now to be honest for all we know that could be a good thing for for companies like Redcon One or legitimate companies but it also could be a terrible thing where it could destroy businesses and you know um, we don't know so it's super scary yeah because what it takes to make a supplement now is essentially. You have a recipe, you go to a manufacturer, if they make it and you agree on a price, away you go. Other than, 
you know, right now the FDA really just regulates your labels, right. like the font size, claims. And typically in our industry, they only look at it unless there's a problem. Right. It's not so in pharma, I think you know most of you probably know is there's a pre approval process. So typically what? Anywhere from five to seven years for a drug to be approved. Right. Because you have to have all these human trials and clinicals. Any claims that are being made all have to be substantiated. Or in our industry, you're you know, supposed to use substantiated claims, but typically there's not enough FDA agents to go out there to inspect all this. So unless there's an adverse event that throws a flag, most people kind of fly under the radar. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about what does it take to make a supplement, to make a supplement company, to make a, put or bring a supplement to the market. And we'll, uh, obviously, the first thing is it takes money. Um, that's, that's for sure. Obviously you need to go to a manufacturer and, uh, have some money ready, but, uh, <laughs> let's, let's forget the money and focus on everything else. Let's assume that you have the money. The first thing is what? Well, you have to have a brand. I mean, you have to have a company and a name and a URL and, you know, you know, to the point we always talk about is a brand that stands for something. Then you have to have formulas. Um, if you're doing it right, you need to have formulas that you've, cross-reference the ingredients to make sure there's no outstanding patents uh, and anything they can come back and get sued on because someone owns IP on a certain ingredient or combination of ingredients, labels. Um, I think one of the things, website. too, that the, 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 the things I'm, I'm – we're fo- let's focus strictly on uh, the – Just the product. Yeah, not the branding or the marketing stuff. We'll talk about that a little later on. But, um, I mean, one of the things that you mentioned about the ingredients is, and I find that a lot of people don't even realize is that they're – that they're using non-permissible dietary ingredients. I, I mean, how many labels have somebody showed you or formulas that they showed me and you? And you're like, what do you think of this? And you're like, well, this is not legal. This is not legal. This is not legal. Yeah, I get showed it all the time where someone's proud and you don't want to burst their bubble, but you're like, you're going to go to jail. If this ever yeah, happens. yeah. I mean, that, and that's a really, it's an interesting thing because it's, it's a, honestly, it's a kind of a sucky thing because I wish that the FDA provided a list where it's like, this is the list of what you can use, where it was black and white, and then a list of things like, this is not allowed to be used because there is a lot of confusion. And uh, certainly for me personally, uh, entering the nutritional supplement space myself many years ago, I had products that, that had ingredients that I was very unsure of, but somebody told me it was good, and then other people said it was bad, and who do you believe? You don't know. Yes, thing. Even if your ingredients Deshay compliant, there's always the argument around. There's some ingredients that it isn't black and white whether it's Deshay because sure. of maybe it's a version of it. Right. And is there prior art that it existed prior to 1994? And then again, then you get into the patent issues. Does someone own a patent on that ingredient? Um, yeah, it isn't black and white at all. There is no playbook to go by. I mean, you can use the herbal handbook for some things. You can use Deshay, but again, a lot of that's open to interpretation. Dask is a guideline for not going over to the dark side, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it isn't black and white at all. I mean, even with good people on your team, good outside resources, it still is still is muddy. Yeah. So. Yeah, so it's, it's definitely – so it would be nice if it wasn't, but it is. So, like, what we do is we consult an expert. And Eric also is an ingredient expert, and that's why he just gets the silky science in the first place. But <laughs> we still silky. consult other people. We have lawyers that we use. Uh, that are FDA-related uh, lawyers. We pass agreements by them. And now we're fortunate enough to have a whole bunch of compliance teams for all the partners we have. So obviously, if Vitamin Shop, GNC, Bodybuilding.com, and Amazon say an ingredient is okay, that's basically, you know, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, because the legal and financial implication for them is, is huge. Yeah. huge yeah. yeah, so they take next to no risk. Yep. 
So we have that we have that as a benefit. So if we are thinking about coming out with a formula, the, we certainly are not going to bring to market a formula for a product that we think is going to you know that's going to be successful without showing it to people first because they for sure will say yes this is a problem same thing goes with labels because obviously once you have your formula you give it to your manufacturer and they agree to make it they'll give you a price back right yep. they'll send you samples of the flavor so whatever say you want it to be pineapple whatever and they'll send you your pineapple whatever pre-workout or whatever with your formula you'll try it yourself you'll taste it hopefully it works good and then you need to have a label and uh, you need to – there's a lot of rules on labels. Oh, label rules. I mean, it's from – you have what's called the PDP, which is a primary display panel, which is the front where it has the name. So there's a set of rules for anything that falls in there. Then there's a set of rules for anything that falls on where the ingredient panel is. And then the other ingredients, font sizes, claims. I mean, that's the thing. It is a uh, laundry list of – I don't know what you want to call it, like checkpoints you have to go through before you – crazy. Yeah. I mean, you got to think, when we first started the company, you know, a lot of people probably joke about some of the small errors we had in our labels, but, you know, for Lawrence, who used to work here as our art director, it's just a, a lot of information to go through, and then you replicate that however many times over, like Total War, 12 times over. So a chance, you know, there's some little mistakes here and there, but it's just a lot. And that's an interesting thing is you don't, people just don't realize. Um, so, like, when you look at old labels for Blackstone or old labels for other companies, and we compare like what's actually the law to what people are doing, sometimes it's vastly different. So oh, I've seen yeah. label designs where be like, this looks really cool, but it's like everything is wrong. Well, yeah, especially claims is where people really make a wrong term. You can get you can get in a lot of trouble with claims. Yeah, because that claim is essentially what you're stating about that product. And you know, as the FTC is more of an issue than the FDA at times. That's yeah. you know, because they're monitoring your claims and what you say about a product. Right. So you know, I went to, um, uh, it was out in Utah once on label claims. You know, most people make explicit structure function claims, which you can't do. You can only do that if you have done third-party, you know, two third-party double-blind human trials. And then you could say, okay, this, because when you put everything together, most people make claims off individual ingredients, which... You know, that's what most people do. Is they what is a structure function claim? Structure function is saying this product will support this function within the body, like provide energy or, you know, a lot of people, they'll use explicit claims like extreme or, you know, increases muscle mass. That's saying that by taking this product, you're going to grow muscle, yeah. which have you tested the product to say that it's going to increase muscle mass? So, you know, that's where you got to say things like supports, you know, the people get in the most trouble, like if you look back at who has gotten FDA warning letters or even people who went to, went to jail over the claim stuff, there's a lot of disease-related claims. That's you know? the biggest That's one, what yeah. you go to jail for. Like if you say this product uh, you know, removes cancer, and there's a lot. You may think they go, oh, crazy motherfucker's going to put that on there. There's a lot of people that put like uh, alleviates arthritis. Like it's like this is like a common thing you'll see. So if you look at the FDA letters for stuff like that, you'll see hundreds of them sometimes. Yeah, a lot of those smaller, like more niche supplements. Yeah, and even in like the fat burning space, there's a lot of explicit claims yeah. there. And in some of those, I think probably the FDA or FTC would argue like, no, you're making a medical claim at that point. Medical claim, yeah, because it's weight loss. Um, Curing cancer is definitely a medical claim. Yeah, too. <laughs> that's not a good one. Um, but you see, too, even like, uh, what were what was some of the ingredients? Uh, I don't know, it was probably like 10 years ago. 
it was around heart health. Um, I'm trying to remember what ingredients, but there was a lot, a lot of issues around heart health because mm-hmm. again, you're now making medical claims. So yeah, you got to get through all that. You really got to do your homework. So I know sometimes maybe our uh, claims aren't the most, uh, don't have the most pizzazz, but it's because mm-hmm. we're following the law. Yeah. And um, so that's all part of the, the, the making of a supplement. The one thing you'll come to find out is that if you want to have any level of success with your supplements, it's something that you're going to run into this, this label stuff, no matter what, because when you turn in labels, so like when we have any kind of new account, that's any kind of any larger size, including internationals, they want to see the label files because they want to make sure that the labels are compliant. And if they're not, the first thing that like a GNC is going to do is kick you back corrections. Yep. And so now if you've got, you know, your all your money tied up in your inventory that's downstairs in the warehouse, and they won't take any of that shit because it, the labels are all wrong. You're in trouble. Yeah, uh, you're gonna have to get rid of that stuff quick. Yep, and then you know, or you, you might have bought a ton of labels, and then now you got to go back and buy more labels, have a different claims on them. Like you say, still liquidate that old inventory. Labels are expensive too. How much did we spend on labels <laughs> last month? Hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, like hundred thirty thousand dollars. That's what we spent on labels. So, just to give you an idea, like labels are expensive, and that's one of the things you'll have to factor in when you think of your cost of goods when you're deciding to make a supplement. Is that uh, you know a nice label and a wrap? You know, you could be talking about forty cents, especially if you're doing a small run. Yeah, and that's the thing I think too. When you know people like to jump into this space because they see certain people have made money, but they also don't see all the things that go into it. And we talk about what does it take to make a product. So. You have your cost of goods, which is usually the actual, all the powder that goes into the product, the little desk can pack it, the bottle, the lid, the labor to fill it all, all that. But then on top of that, you have to factor in the lid shrink, the label, the shipping of that. So, you know, it just keeps, you know, item after item just Adding eats in, into yeah. profitability. Yeah. So it's, it's, it is a potentially lucrative space, but there's a lot that goes into it, a lot of costs. I mean, to Aaron's point, yeah, $130,000 the last month alone. As we get bigger, that bill only increases. Sure. Now, you can pick up efficiencies by ordering more, but then you got to make sure that, like you said before, all this is fully compliant with your big customers. And, uh, and yeah, so we're, we'll talk even more about the, uh, the cost of doing business because there is a lot of costs around doing business, and we can break down some of the costs that, that we incur over here um, before, like, so obviously you got your top line revenue and then we got our gross profit, which is uh, selling the supplements. So you remove your total revenue minus the cost of goods. So then you have your gross profit and then that's where the, the fun stuff comes in. All the costs, of <laughs> all, the below the line yeah. expenses. all those expenses. So we're going to go through that a little bit. I'm not going to give you all of our numbers, um, <laughs> but I will go through that, but let's, let's walk a little further through the process. So now they have the labels and if you have a good manufacturer, right, they're going to make sure your labels are Maybe not 100 percent compliant, but they're going to make sure that they they know what they're what they have agreed to putting in the product is also on the label, right? And then also too that based on how they make the product, that you know, like you have all the ingredients that are on the actual supplement facts right. panel, but then you have all the stuff that says other, other ingredients. ingredients yeah. So those are listed in order of how much are in are in the formula. Yeah. So you know, same thing. If that's not correct, it's mislabeling, right? You know, so that's the thing is. You're liable as a company for anything that's mislabeled because you're the even though someone else makes it for you, you as the company because you're marketing it, you're responsible. But then they they have a level of responsibility to say, hey, this is incorrect based off 
how we're cooking your. And if your manufacturer doesn't ask you to see the labels before they run the products, it's probably a bad sign. Yeah, and if they run them with error, known errors yeah. and just say, ask ah, it was fine. We don't care. Yeah, that's definitely, I could see that um, happening. I know when we first got going, you know, people would uh, quote the products and uh, run them before they even received the labels. And they'd be waiting and be like, well, what if the labels were wrong? They don't even care. Yeah. Could say something totally different and they would put the label on whatever. Yeah, which. I'm sure that still happens all the time. Oh, I'm sure it does in this business. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that leads to like the timing, you know, part of the conversation too is, you know, lead times, the manufacturers we use have pretty good lead times. Well, we in particular, we were, I'm, I'm super crazy about the, how long shit takes. So, yeah, I mean, cause you know, a good, good manufacturer, if it's a brand new product, once you go through all the formulation and testing and flavor testing, you know, once you hit the go button, it's going to typically be six to eight weeks because they have to order raw materials. At least, in. yeah, at least. Yeah, because it takes them a while to get all the raw materials in for you to give them labels, for them to get your bottles, have everything ready. So when they hit the go button, those raw materials aren't exposed to air for too long. Everything runs smoothly. But, you know, in our, in our case, we because we, we have label stock at our manufacturers, they buy raw materials for us. So on reorders, I mean, you're anywhere from three to four weeks. but. Yep. It can take longer. I mean, especially on a new product because you're figuring everything out. For most people, I, I always hear for a new, um, and obviously, you know, we're a special case because, um, well, because, I mean, we demand to be special case essentially. <laughs> but, but I mean, for a new product, a new brand to a new manufacturer, probably looking at 12 weeks. That's probably like the average for somebody who's new, has no experience, that's coming into this and has no references or background. You're probably looking at 12 weeks for a brand new product. Um, and, um the one thing that I'll tell you for us, probably the most stressful thing that I've done in business is having to rush to switch manufacturers. Oh, it's horrible. Um, because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so that, that 12 weeks um, is probably a full-on hard-press rush when you're talking about um, bringing, switching 10, 15, 20 products of multiple flavors to a new manufacturer because you're trying to match the flavor, you're trying to deal with all of their processes and how they do things and how they run their business. And that's probably the most stressful. It's like people say that when you move to a new house, right? Like moving is stressful. Yep. Um, I think that moving a manufacturer is 10 times more stressful. Oh, than we've done it and it is... Woo. Because literally, it's like it's dating someone all over again. You're figuring out all the little nuances and quirks, and it's tough, especially because when you have a product that functions a certain way, tastes a certain way, when you move it, I mean, they have the the burden of making it bioidentical in every way, shape, and form. So yeah, your packaging's the same, your label's the same, but what's in that tub's more important and how it's blended. I mean, we've run into that. Yeah. You know, where it's like they didn't blend it the same, they didn't put the desiccants in in the same order. It's different. Consistency's there. Yeah, it tastes a little different, feels a little different. So yeah, I mean, that's it. I I hate when we have to move a manufacturer. My suggestion to anybody out there who is in the supplement business is to have backups already ready to rock and roll. So like, there's nothing wrong with having a bunch of people that make products or that are capable of making products for you. Um, and that way, if there's ever any issue or one person runs low on stock or can't get in an ingredient, you're not stuck. Because um, if they have a, a problem importing citrulline, right, citrulline malate, then you have another guy that already has it. Yeah, or even a natural disaster. Yeah. You know, if you had all your eggs in one basket and a tornado hit somewhere in the Midwest or a hurricane here in the South... I mean, you'd be dead in the water for potentially months. So it's good to have backups and backups of backups. You know, just everyone's vetted and essentially can make your recipe the same way. That's I mean, that's really the way we function, right? So and then um, with the uh, we could talk about um, 
selling on different channels. What else should we say about the supplement? The supplement gets there. You obviously have to market it and move it off the, move it off the plate. And your manufacturer should do um, testing for the raw ingredients, and then they should do finished product testing before you get the product shipped to you. We get like our uh, um, the testing for um, uh, what's it called? Um, well, certificates analysis for yeah. all the heavy metals. Heavy metals. Um, Bacteria, anything like that. The aging, they do aging, so they'll actually artificially age the product to make sure nothing grows in it. Uh, the uh, so that's all that's all done on their end. And then when you as a brand, you know what we do is we do the skip lot testing where we test for ingredients, and then occasionally we'll do a whole lot testing in the beginning. But yeah, for third party, where we send our products out for third party valuation, it's good for us that the end consumer is getting well one, so we know that what we're paying to have in the tub is in that tub and then two yeah. more importantly for the end consumer that what we say is in there is in there yeah so. it's something that's expensive and it's one of the reasons why you don't see a lot of brands doing stuff like that because it's very expensive so like each ingredient in a product could be what 500 plus dollars so if you have a, a product that's got you know like a total war that's got a dozen ingredients it could be five thousand dollars to test the product yeah it's expensive to do the testing but you know, it's, it's, it's a good thing to do. It's good to know. It's a good way to check your manufacturers too every once in a while just to say, Hey, you know, good job or we let them know. So, yeah. that, and I think that when you let the manufacturer know that this is something that you do, that you do do testing, third party testing, and then we send the testing to them. So they see that we're actually doing the testing. I think that you are building like checks and balances. Now, thankfully we don't have anybody that we're worried about that we work with that are concerned, but it is something that I think that it's good to know. You know, it's like telling, uh, you know, we have cameras here in the office. I tell people, you know, Hey, there are cameras in the warehouse. Like I want them to see the cameras. I don't want to, I want them to be visible. Um, not because I think anybody's stealing, but, and if they were thinking about stealing, they know there's cameras right there. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's an accountability checkpoint. Yeah. So um, now, obviously, the number one thing that I do that has worked for me in business is I only do business with people that I like. So if you like and trust somebody, you know, you shouldn't feel um, worried. But I think that it is always good to uh, to make sure. So. No, I think so. I mean, it's, it's again, there could be a mistake. And, you know, just it's a good way to check it. Because yep. maybe they didn't know there's a mistake in their process. So it's just it's a good Good general practice. So different sales channels. Um, these days, um, there is a real move towards direct. And direct means direct to consumer, uh, B2C, business to consumer. Uh, and uh, that is a very popular new style. And uh, I kind of uh, was one of the first um, with that. You know, I don't know. There's, I'm sure there's other people that, that were doing it in sports supplements, but I don't know how many people were doing it as uh, as well or the kind of revenue that we were bringing in in the beginning with Blackstone. Yeah, and I think also too, like to build a brand and then go direct as well. I mean, because there were direct businesses, but they were essentially just marketing companies that right. really didn't. I mean, nobody. Hell, I didn't know what the brand was. It was just you saw or these ads on Facebook yeah. for 81% off, you yeah, know, exactly. things like that. Yeah. So um, a little bit different. I mean, I think I always tell you we're a little bit of a unicorn that we exist in. We are now are just totally different and unique. Um, but the the one method is uh, is direct. And now they've, they've built this whole other thing where there's companies that are Amazon only, which is really strange to me because um, there's companies like uh, what's the one, Kapow and – some of these other ones that you see now. The old school labs. Old school labs, yeah. That if you go to their website and click to buy it, it literally sends you to Amazon. Yep. Now, I will tell you right now, I'm not a fan of that. Uh, we are on Amazon, and we've put a lot of effort, and we're going to talk about Amazon in a minute, put a lot of effort into cleaning up Amazon and kind of like 
reining in all the crazy people that we initially had on Amazon. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that. But this this part of the business, this channel, has become exclu- exclusive for some people, uh, like we just spoke about. Very weird because it's like direct, right? Um, the cool part, the, the positive part, is that you don't have to keep any inventory in your warehouse. You don't even need a warehouse. You don't need any people nope. to ship anything. Uh, you really don't need anything. I mean, you could run, we could run, if we were doing that with Redcon, you could literally run this out of my house. Have a few marketing people hang out at the house all day and really don't do anything. You know, you're not shipping to stores. You're not shipping international. You don't do any palletized shipping. You're shipping direct from your manufacturer, more than likely, straight to Amazon fulfillment. And then there's really no website to maintain. There's nothing. You know, you're sending your traffic. You're trying to send people to Amazon. The downside is you're collecting no user data, so you have no idea who's buying your products. You don't have any email lists about. You know, you're not building anything. And it's, it's hard to build a brand. Hard to build a brand. And then also it can evaporate. What's to say one day Amazon says, eh, we're just going to do our own supplements now. Which they're kind of starting to do. <laughs> they're kind of starting to do. So it would be a really scary thing. And I have some friends that do tons and tons of very successful ads through Facebook and now through Instagram, which is bought by Facebook. And the whole brand is built on these ads, successful ads and kind of uh, – um, whole campaigns and uh, work-throughs, click funnels, all based on ad traffic that they shuttle to a product page or a uh, landing page. But scary thing is like what one change of the algorithm and boom, your whole business can be gone. You have nothing. Yeah, and it happens every day. There's companies that die off every day. And you know, the thing with that, like the Amazon channel specifically is, I think right now they're letting you know, individual brands build that for them. Oh, yeah. You know, and then it's like, you say, oh, okay, now I'm going to keep that money myself. Yeah. So I think it's a short-sighted strategy, but I think, the, you know, the appeal for people is, like you said, I can sit at home in my pajamas to make money. Know. Yep, and then they got wholesale, uh, B2B, which uh, we're going to go back, circle back to us in a minute, but B2B, there's companies like Black Market Labs, there's quite a few of them that sell strictly to wholesale stores. They only do wholesale to stores. To brick and mortar stores, um, I don't know if there's any. I guess there are corporate only brands like Beyond Raw, but they're owned by GNC. Right, so. but there are some that only sell them to corporate. Uh, so uh, you got this B two B businesses, and then you've got the corporate channels, which would be GNC, Vitamin Shop, etc. Yep. Um, and uh, and like we were saying, some of them are exclusive, but but it's kind of rare. Usually, the people that are selling into corporate stores and doing well are more established brands right? because they're more picky in terms of who they're picking up. So like Vitamin Shop is not going to pick up um, one of the small brands we were talking about in the beginning, and neither would GNC. Uh, they're more, they're much more, they watch more closely who they have in the store and the brands in general. Well, because right? they want that built-in demand when it goes on their shelves. They know right. that someone's coming in for it. Right. They they're not taking to, chances. No. Just like... Um, Really like your Food, Drug, and Mass, which is another channel. Yep. I mean, they're going to want to pick up like your older blue chip brands that they feel probably have a, a longer established consumer base. They're just going to make sure they dictate the price, though. So right. you know, there's a lot of times you see those brands in uh, like Walmart. That's an example, Food, Drug, and Mass. It's some kind of bastardized version of the original product because Walmart comes to you and says, yeah, I'm going to buy that and I'm going to buy millions of units, but it's 10 bucks a a unit. That's yeah, all I'm paying for. Yeah, it. Right. So you literally aren't going to make any money, but you're going to take it for the exposure, or you got to adjust the formula and make it cheaper. So um, since we're talking about uh, food drug mass, I get a lot of times people will ask uh, me and you, like, is that where you guys are heading? And the answer is no, other than the MRE bar. We want the MRE bar to be everywhere. And uh, the last channel we'll talk about is C stores, but the uh, or we can do international and C stores. Yeah. Uh, but um, 
we want that everywhere, but you really don't want, like if your brand is doing really well and you're trending upward fast, you really don't want to be in these food drug masks. You don't want to be in Walmart because it kills the cool factor. Cause if you, like Eric just said, you can't really make, so we couldn't sell total war at Walmart. It would have never worked cause the margins don't work. We literally would lose money to have it in there, or you'd have to make you'd have to dumb down the product, which would be a loser for us too. We'd never do that. We'd never do that. And people walk in there and be like, "Oh, on the shelf of Walmart, Total War." Now all of a sudden, whatever cool factor we had going for us is gone. Yeah, and all I mean, the stores too, all the brick and mortar stores are like, "Hell with these guys." Oh, you. I mean, I'm not going to name the brands, but you've seen it in a, a quite a few, a handful of brands that were once the biggest brands in the market. As soon as they cross that. That bridge to Walmart, and people were just the, the core consumer in specialty sports nutrition. We call specialty are all your mom and pop brick and mortars, um, even your corporate brick and mortars like GNC Vitamin Shop. Those are specialty stores. Um, people turn their backs quick, yeah, because it's like, all right, you guys have sold out or whatever yeah. it is, and that can affect. I mean, the one thing is like, so I, I did a show uh, with. Eduardo uh, Readiness Radio uh, last week on short-term thinking versus long-term thinking and uh, talked about you know the benefits of, of planning long-term and thinking about legacy and where you want to be. It's very easy, though, to get a big PO offer where you see millions of dollars from a Walmart and say, oh, millions of dollars, you know, and then your whole brand is ruined because you, you went for the easy money. Yeah, and we, I mean, we do that with international even where we'll turn down POs yeah. because it's like, you know, you don't know maybe the customer, you know, yeah, it's a PO, but it might be the end, but it could screw up registration in that country long term. Yeah. Yeah. Long dollar versus short dollar. I'll take the long dollar every day. Yeah. It's because we know that our, our goal is a red con. The goal is not to bring in as much money as we can right away. It's the goal is to build the biggest, the longest lasting, most substantial brand in the world. Yeah. And I mean, you know, one of the things we touched, I don't know if you want to finish off on the channels because I know we touched on a little bit on like margin. Um, you know, that's essentially margin is what you ultimately, you know, that's how much profit there is in it. But then it's more about margin dollars. Cause I you know I worked, you know, business before where everything was about margin points. Well, it's like, I can't take a margin point to the bank. Right. I can take dollars, hard dollars to the bank, you know, cause then where those conversations would always come up is, you know, formulas might get cheapened because they're like, oh, we're well, now we're at a 65 margin. But if you make a product that no one's, it goes either way, really high margin for the business. But it's a product that nobody's going to buy because it's shit. Yeah. Like, you're making $0, so that doesn't help. No. And then, you know, I get people sometimes that be like, oh, why didn't you put this ingredient, this ingredient, this ingredient in the formula? Well, because our cost of goods would be 30 bucks, and then you'd have to charge the end consumer 80 for it. Nobody's buying it. So, again, nobody's happy in that equation. So, yeah, it's interesting as you get into these different channels of kind of the, the tightrope act it is of balancing with, with the consumer the company and the customer. So to, to circle back on that, um, your best margin is direct to consumer, right? Uh, your second best margin is, uh, direct to a retailer to a mom and pop store, um, or Amazon, which is about the same, uh, approximately once you pay the fees and the shipping, even if it's your own Amazon store, it's still considerably worse than if it's direct off your own website. Uh, Amazon takes about a 15% cut, and then you're paying for the shipping through them. Mm-hmm. So it ends up in you have a stocking fee if it sits for any period yeah, of time. Return fees. Yeah, there's a lot of different things that they throw in there. So uh, it's just about the same as going wholesale. A little less good, once again, now a little worse margin would be uh, corporate stores. Yep. Because there's all the things that go along with them. And there's all kinds of programs and advertising stuff that that uh, that goes along with it. And like even like bodybuilding.com, to be successful in bodybuilding, you got to participate in all this other stuff. And the stuff eats away. And, you know, with one of the companies that I owned in the past, uh, 
Uh, we did great one year with bodybuilding. When you actually figure out how much we spent with all the advertisings, the paper click, a wash, yeah, campaign, mm-hmm. and then some of the uh, actual content we did with them, it was like holy shit! All the money is gone. Yep. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and um, so you got the corporate stores, and then uh, really right around corporate is this, is international. Uh, yeah, about because the same margins or so. Yeah, because those you know your customers internationally have to pay for shipping. They have to pay import fees, VAT. You know, I mean, they by the time they get a product in the country, you might sell it for, you know, say you sell them a product for twenty bucks. It costs them thirty two by the time they get it. Yeah, it's some crazy stuff depending yeah. on the country and and if they're doing things the right way or the wrong way. Right, or, or actually registering the product. And that's or, one of the things that we will say is that you know you want a good partner, international partner, and you want people doing it the right way. And you certainly want people if they're doing it in any kind of wrong way, you you got to let them know that it's on them. You know, that's one of the things. Was I've, we've always been very upfront and honest with our partners any which way. We always try to be upfront. Sometimes you'd be honest and they say it's okay, and then they change their mind later on. They didn't like they didn't like what they said was okay. But we are always honest and uh, upfront. And if they want to do less business or don't even want to work together, at least you know right off the bat versus uh, getting surprised later on. Yeah, I mean, you just... Well, like everything else, we'll just be just transparent as humanly possible. So you brought up the, the margin in terms of formulating the product. When you get a price of a product, the margin's got to be good enough for everybody to make money, right? Yeah, it's the three C's have to intersect, customer, consumer, company. Yes. So. And so that takes a lot of thought. It doesn't. It's not as simple as you would think because you have to determine. So like, let's start at the, at the bottom. We'll start at the, the cost of goods. If you make a pre-workout that costs 15 bucks. The cost for you as the brand is 15 bucks. Now you have to think that you're trying to make double your margins. You're trying to make Keystone 50%. So that means 30 bucks. So you need to sell your pre workout for 30 bucks to um, brick and mortar, to what, well, depending on who you want to sell to. Let's say you just want to sell it to uh, direct to consumer and that's it. Um, you know what? You may be able to make a $15 pre workout work if that's all you want to do. It should, should be okay. Now you still got to pay for the cost of doing business, advertising, everything else. But you probably can make it work out. But if you're going to sell it to wholesale, who the hell is going to buy a wholesale pre workout at 30 bucks? That means they got to make, they want to make Keystone. So that means they got to sell it for 60 bucks. Yep. Now who the hell is buying anything for 60 bucks? Nobody. No, that's the thing. I mean, a pre workout, probably the upper threshold's 40 bucks yeah. of what people are actually going to pay for it. Um, you know, that's the thing too. Like you talked about, say, Arguments say you take the fifteen dollar number is your cost of goods. You got to sell it for thirty. Even when you sell for thirty, that fifteen dollars you might take fifteen to twenty percent of that that actually goes to your bank. Yes, that's if you're lucky. That's that'd be good. Yeah, 15 that's to twenty percent is really good. Right. So that's the thing is that people are like, oh, you double your money. No, not really, because then all no. the below the line costs come out. So we'll talk about the below the line costs. So the first thing you want to do when you have a supplement company. Uh, is make sure you have insurance. That's the first thing I would do. If you're even as a small company, you need to get liability insurance because shit happens. People are crazy out there, and uh, you know you may say take one scoop on the uh, jug, but they take ten scoops because they want to be super jacked in the gym that day. You know? Yep. And so you have to have liability insurance. Now, the larger the company, the more revenue you bring in, the larger the monthly amount your premium is. And so for a company that's doing, let's say. 10 million, you could be looking at, you know, 10, 15,000 a month. If you're doing 1 million, you know, you may only be talking about 1,500 a month. Uh, but it does make a really big difference to total revenue. And the interesting thing is if you underestimate your revenue, so say you do better than you think, you're going to get a huge bill for the difference at the end of the, end of the year. So if you yeah. think you're going to do a million, but you end up doing 15 million, get ready for a several hundred thousand dollar bill at the end of the year. Yeah, you're going to get nailed. Um, and uh, and there's no choice. You can't just not be like, oh, I'm just not going to pay for it. It doesn't work like that. No. <laughs> um, so that's number one. Obviously, you have to have a warehouse. Yep. You have to have staffs. 
depending on you know where you are and what you're doing, like we have uh, 12 people in the marketing department. We have well, then yeah. So with that, you have marketing costs. Yeah, you have health care for your employees. Yeah, we pay for health insurance. Um, all your utilities on your building, forklifts. Also, yeah. Um, just the racks. Just to give you an idea, the racks. We just for our warehouse number five. The racks, just the racks, which is steel bars, is what did he say? It's going to be twelve thousand. Twelve thousand bucks, yeah, for some bars. I yeah. mean, that's just in one little warehouse. Add another forklift to sixty thousand bucks. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just before you know it, it's like it just chips away. And if your salespeople are getting commission, there's more. You yeah. know, that goes out with that. Um, packing supplies, crazy packing supplies. This is one of those things that you don't even, you would never even think. But like, so when you put one of these boxes, see, it's like, it doesn't sound like a lot, but you, a box in the tape in the bubble wrap that keeps everything from smashing apart, it can be another 50 cents. Yeah. And, a, and so if you're sending uh, 15,000 packages a, a month, and that's just on the boxes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, there's all those little costs everywhere. I mean, you have computers and desks and, you know, all your office furniture and cleaning, you know, you name it, you know, we look, we go over the PL every month and you just keep looking at cost, cost, cost. And then if you want to do shows, that's a whole other set of costs and athletes and, you know, it, it's just, it's a lot of money. Yeah. It adds up. It adds up. And so obviously one of the big things that I tell people a lot when we talk about, but this is not just supplement business, but business in general is that you really need to think of where you want to be and where you want to go. Cause like right now, if me and Eric sat down with the Stephanie air controller and said, we're going to make this the most profitable company in the world instead of like the percentage wise, I mean, instead of the biggest, we would make a lot of different decisions. You know? Oh yeah. Cause we don't honestly, it's, I came from an environment where everything was about profit to where, again, we think about profit because you have to keep the business open and you have to, you know, support it all. But it's always starts with, well, what's the best thing to yeah. build this brand? Right. And then we work backwards and try to back into it. Exactly. And sometimes we're just like, well, you know what? It's just, it is what it is. And we're, we're going to lose a little money here, but it's best for the business. Right. So, yeah, we don't, profit is... Oh, we forgot about taxes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Never forget about taxes. So along with, you said, make sure you have insurance, make sure you have yourself a good CPA too, oh, because yeah. I think that's the thing people don't see is, you know, people might see the payoff of hard work, right. but they don't see all the little pieces that go into it. And then... Like, listen, the other people always complain is like, here, let's try tax bill for a little while. It's like, so here's the interesting thing, and it's going to blow people's mind. I feel like not, not everybody, but some people are going to blow their mind. No, the highest tax bracket, and it's just changed with Donald Trump for this coming year, but the highest tax bracket is about 40%. So that's ordinary income. You're paying 40% if you're at the top tax bracket. Now, here's the interesting thing that's going to kind of blow your mind is that if the company is doing well in a supplement company uh, like Redcon is building its inventory, so we're building and building and building our inventory. So a lot of the money that's being made at Redcon doesn't go to me uh, or even to the Redcon bank account. It goes into buying more inventory to accommodate all the new business. So we have millions and millions and millions of dollars in inventory that are in these five warehouses. They're sitting there. So instead of money in my account or in the company account, um, it's in there in inventory. And we're building it up to sell it eventually. And eventually we're going to make a profit on it. It's all going to be good. But as of right now, there's a lot sitting in there that hasn't been sent out. So say the year ends right now today. I will actually have to pay taxes on the inventory 
that is sitting here. And that's why people, a lot of times, businesses will want to have as little inventory as possible at the end of the year because you will pay um, the profit of the business, right? At the end of the day, it shows at the bottom line what the profit is. And the profit may not necessarily mean the profit that is in the bank account, the money that's been made. It can be that. It is that, but it is also the inventory that you own that's been paid off that's in the warehouse. So you can you could very easily stock up and buy a bunch of stuff for accounts that are going to come in the future and get caught paying taxes, not just the 40% for the income, but be taxed on all the profit that's in the business that hasn't even been realized yet. Well, that's the thing. You pay taxes on profits that hasn't been realized. And then when you finally take the money as a distribution, when you do sell it, you get taxed again. Yeah, you get taxed again. It's fucking, it's totally crazy. And so. uh, I mean, it's just, it's like never ending. I think that people don't get it. There's a really cool video that I meant, to, I think I told you about it, about this one kid, right? He starts his own business. And, um, and so at the end of the day, he does a video explaining this, what I just showed, but showing his documents and showing that he made 80,000 bucks for the year but he owed $160,000 to the IRS. And he doesn't know how to get the money. Like He needs to like figure out a way to take a loan from his parents or whatever because the business has been so successful that he was able to stock up all this inventory not knowing. That, yeah, that he, so he's like, I used my $80,000 to pay for my wife and my new baby and support my family. And now the government says, oh, $160,000. How could I possibly get that? It's like, damn, this fucking guy. It's like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. So um, interesting, just an interesting side note on taxes because I feel like it's one of those things that people rarely understand because they're like, um, you know, you hear about like this guy, you know, if you make more money, you should pay more taxes. I fucking absolutely agree with that. But it should be a proportionate to everybody else. That's yeah. And it's it's weird when you own a business, there's, you get hit a lot more. It seems oh like my with God. taxes. <laughs> crazy. Crazy. Um, so, uh, we're going to end the show talking quickly about marketing. Obviously marketing is really what sets brands apart from one to another, how you brand and position, uh, yourself, your business. Uh, because what we do here is uh, not proprietary. It's one of those interesting things that when, uh, in, when I've spoken to investors in the past, um, about Blackstone, you know, a lot of the people that are not from our industry who are, were like, um, people that are potentially interested in acquiring companies, they're like, so what do you have that's proprietary? What, what do you have? No, there's nothing really, you know, um, is that everything is on the label. Like if you look at the back of Total War, yeah, you can literally take Total War and copy the shit out of it. You can make exactly the same thing. They Which can even make it taste the same. Other companies have. And they have, and they have. <laughs> but you can't copy the brand. You know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're watching you. I am. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you can't copy the, the, the branding and the marketing, the messaging, and, like, who we are as a brand. That's not something that's copyable. And so um, that's something that you should figure out if you're in supplement business or any business who you are way before you think about ordering a product. Yeah, and that's one thing is, you know, probably a lot of people don't see it, but if you were to be in the Redcon office any given day, there there might be CEOs and owners from other supplement companies in here that come and say, hey, you know, can you give me some pointers? And, you know, you literally laid out playbooks for people. And a lot of people would be like, that's fucking nuts. Like, yeah. why are you telling them how to be successful? And it's like, you're not Redcon, so you're not going to do what we do. Yeah, It's made up of the products, the branding, the people that sit here every day, you. So it's not, you know, you can't copy that. Right. And uh, and that's, you're right. And there's no, uh, you know, when we started the, the, uh, the tier operator program, uh, we had a lot of people and we had had people try to copy it and stuff. And every part of the brand um, has been cop- tried to be copied one way or another. Oh, yeah. But you know what? I don't I don't even stress about it at all. So like when somebody does come and ask me, you know, and, and I know we've, we have had several people help them tomorrow. I'm just meeting with a yeah. CEO of a, of a bigger supplement company to talk about 
marketing ideas for them. I'm not going to charge him any money for it, and I'm happy to give it to him because there's nothing that I'm going to be able to tell him to, for him to go take it and, and then become Red Count One. It just doesn't work like that. No, I mean, uh, hopefully they'll be able to apply it to their business as best as possible, but, uh, yeah, it's not going not gonna to knock us out. <laughs> no. And you know what? I, I like to think that uh, I know everybody looks at competition in different ways and stuff, but I think that if you help people and you're, you provide value and positive impact, uh, that it'll come back to you in a positive way at some point or another. And so hopefully this guy tomorrow can do something solid for us in the future. Yeah, I mean, because I, I started this business in an era where you couldn't even be friends with someone from another company. No, you guys couldn't even like look at people no, from Gaspari, I mean, right? Yeah, it'll be like, like Flex and I were secret friends for years because it was like, oh, God forbid you might lose your job. Aren't you guys still secret friends? Yeah. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a weird one. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, so it's cool. Like, I, it's really refreshing for me because I always had to be on guard. You know, I was like, couldn't even be friends with someone where it's cool where you get to share best practices with people. And to your point, you get what you, you know, you get back what you put into this universe. So, you know, I think it's great we help people and. You know, I think it will repay us one day. I hope that uh, you guys listening to this episode feel like we helped you a little bit or at least entertain you a little. That was the episode on the business of supplements. Um, I know we're next week. Are we doing the, uh, the stimulus? Some stims. Stims, yeah. Talk yeah, some stims. Some up. Get every, uh, we'll take, uh, take a bunch of Total War before the episode and <laughs> get ready. <laughs> get wired where you yeah, can't understand you us. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, guys. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed uh, this episode of uh, The Silky Science. And uh, we'll be back next week. Bye, guys. Bye.